Well, in Psalm 117, we read, Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples. For great is his steadfast love towards us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Come, let us praise the Lord. Well, we sing and we worship together in our opening carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Prince of Peace, hail the Son of Righteousness, light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Well, let's unite our hearts in prayer. Let's pray. O oh, our loving Heavenly Father, we have come to worship and to bow down, to kneel before you, the Lord our Maker, for you are our God. And we are the people of your pasture, the sheep of your hand. We come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, our advocate with the Father, our only mediator between God and man, who always lives to make intercession for us. And through him we come boldly to your throne of grace. And so, Lord, it's in the name of Jesus we earnestly seek your face this morning. Lord, forgive us. Cleanse us of all sin. Wipe our tears. Touch our hearts. And Lord, refresh our spirits. Oh, that this morning we may be able to worship in spirit and in truth. Oh, may we know your amazing grace. 
And may we know your amazing love. And Lord, fill this sanctuary with your joy. Lord, I know that there are many here today we've known the loss of loved ones. Lord, we carry past regrets. We may be carrying disappointments, discouragements. Lord, there may be hearts here today that are worried, fearful. Oh Lord, we may feel that the world seems just out of control. Oh Lord Jesus, you, our Prince of Peace, would you come and touch us with that peace that goes beyond understanding. And so, Lord, we can say with the psalmist, our soul thirsts for you, our flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Lord, we pray with the prophet, O oh, rend the heavens and come down, inhabit the praises of your people. Remember your promise, O oh, Spirit of Christ, to be present in the midst of your worshipping people especially when two or more gather in your name. And so, Lord, now we ask that you would grant us a blessing in your fellowship. Speak to us through your word. And, Lord, be blessed through our prayers and songs of adoration. And at this Advent season, we look for your coming with great delight. And as we sit at your table, we do this in remembrance of you until you come again. And so, Lord, we now pray the Lord's Prayer as we share together, praying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our New Testament reading this morning is taken from John chapter 1, verses 1 through to 14. This can be found in a few Bibles on page 1119. John chapter 1, reading from verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light, he came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and through the world was made through him. The world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, that born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. 
we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen. And may the Lord bless this reading of his holy word. Well, I love the quote of Adoniram Judson, George Gordon. He said this in regards to John's gospel. He said, this gospel opens with Christ in the bosom of the Father and closes with John in the bosom of Christ. I like that. As we consider this morning Christmas with the Apostle John, I want you to notice that John's gospel, he places a demand upon us as we read it. And he asks us not just to read this gospel. He's not interested that we, we get to know it and that we take time out to read the gospel of John. John places a demand. He said, you're to do something with it. You're to do something. It's to affect you. It should transform, it should change your life. It must, John would claim, affect a heart response. Not just in the head, not just, oh, that was lovely what John said about this and that. John demands a heart response. He asks us to sit down and to meditate on Christ himself. And then he encourages, respond to him. Respond to him. As well as John placing a demand on his gospel, he also has a desire. He desires that we would believe with all our heart that Jesus really is who he claims to be. That Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the promised Son of God. He's the one that's been prophesied who will come to rescue us. One who will come and touch our lives and will actually get involved in our mess. One who will come and be in, so involved that he will totally understand what we go through in life. He knows what it is to to have loved ones taken from him. He knows what it is to be mocked and laughed at. He knows what it is to be hungry and to thirst. He knows what it is to have nothing. And so John has a, such a desire, oh, that you would believe that Jesus is God, that he's God in human flesh, the invisible God. What does he look like? Look at Jesus, John says. There you will see the invisible God. And he said, and don't just believe, receive. Notice, as John was reading to us from, from John chapter 1, notice how often it said, those who received him, he gave life. He called them the children of God. Those who received, not just those who believed, those who received him. And John desires that we would know life in his name. That's John's desire for his gospel. Yes, that we would believe. Yes, that we would receive. And that we would come to know new life. A brand new start. How would you like that? I'm sure many of us have gone through days where we feel, do you know this? I wish I could press the reset button. If I could start my life again. What would it look like? And here John tells us, oh, when you come to Christ, you can know the reset button. You can know new life. Your sins forgiven. Your past dealt with. And your present. The psalmist tells us that he will be a present help in your troubles. And of course, what did Jesus tell his disciples? He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. All who receive Christ, all who put their trust in him, all who believe in Jesus, Jesus said, I'm going now to prepare a place for you. 
This world is not your home. This is a place that you pass through. Some have a shorter life. Some will have a longer life in this place, but you're only passing through. There is a home that I'm preparing for you. That's, that's the kingdom. That's the glory. But while you live in this world, you can know foretastes of that kingdom to come. You can know healing. You can know blessing. You can know love. You can know joy. You can know peace with God. You can know all these things. You can get a taste of it now when you come to the Lord's table. This is to be a, a, a taste of the great banquet to come when all the Lord's people, all who put their trust in Christ, one day we will reunite. And we're told that we will reunite there at the marriage supper of the Lamb. We shall join again and you will have crowds, a number that cannot be numbered will gather on that day to worship the Lamb, to worship Jesus. And they'll be able to say on that day, I knew it. I knew it. I knew what Jesus said was real. It was true. And I'm glad I, did, I didn't just believe. I'm glad I received him when I had the opportunity. I'm glad I received Christ into my life, my heart, my home. I'm glad that I could say there's room here this Christmas in my heart. I've got a home here that's available for the Lord. I'm glad I responded. What a day. Well, John also makes a wonderful declaration. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What's John telling us? John is telling us that Jesus is not just a little child. He's not just a baby that was born at Bethlehem and people came to believe in him. John declares that Jesus is God and he's Emmanuel. He's here with us. When you receive him, you feel him, you know him. When you receive Christ, you're conscious of his presence, his Holy Spirit. You come into church and you know he's here. But we're told in John's Gospel that there will be others who will hear about Jesus, but they'll never receive. They'll never receive him, even although he will stand right in the midst of them. But as John goes on to declare through his whole gospel, yes, Jesus is the Son of God. He's God in human flesh. Look at verse 34 in chapter 1. John the Baptist declares, this is the Son of God. In verse 49 of chapter 1, Nathanael declares, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And then Peter, in chapter 6, at verse 69, you are the Holy One of God. And then Martha, in chapter 11, at verse 27, you are the Christ, the Son of God. Thomas, there in chapter 20, at verse 28, my Lord and my God. That's who he calls Jesus, my Lord and my God. And Jesus himself declares that he is God's son in chapter 10 and verse 36. But John, although he makes such a declaration through his gospel, he has a dilemma. In verse 17 of chapter 1, we're told that no one has ever seen God. No one has ever seen God. So... How do we get to see him? How do we get to know the unseen God? And this is where John now opens up his whole gospel and he tells us, I'll show you, I'll show you. And John goes on to explain that God actually wants to reveal himself. He wants to show you what he's like and who he is. And so John opens up chapter 1. In Mark, we're told the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But notice John goes further back. In the beginning, 
As John goes back, he's not talking about the beginning of creation. John takes us into eternity, before creation ever came about, before you or I were even thought of or born, before the stars were placed in the heavens, before Aaron was thought about, the beautiful islands that we see throughout Scotland, before they were even thought of, imagined. God was there, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There in that wonderful fellowship, the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they were in perfect union, they were in perfect love, they were absolutely the perfect God, one God in three persons. And in a way, they didn't need you or me, they didn't need creation. They were absolutely perfect. But God wanted to reveal himself. He has a heart to reveal himself to others that we would come to know him. That we would come to know that love, that joy, that peace. And so John now begins to paint the invisible God for us. And he describes him as the eternal word. He said, now God, here... Here's the picture. He is the eternal word. John tells us in chapter 17 at verse 5, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Isn't that wonderful? Lord, glorify me now. Here's Jesus in the upper room with his disciples, and he's been praying for them. And he prays to his Father, Father, glorify me with that glory that we once had together when we knew before even the worlds were created. That wonderful glory that we experienced when the triune God, oh, just the glory of it. Glorify me again. And so here, John, as he writes of Christ, Yes, he is the eternal word. Now, John's not just thinking of the Greek philosophical use of the word logos here. I believe John's rooted also in the Hebrew. He's going back into the Old Testament when he describes Jesus as the eternal word. I'm sure John was thinking of Psalm 33, Verses 6 to 9. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. Again, I'm sure John would be drawn to Proverbs there in chapter 8, verse 27. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit, so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always. The proverb writer describes here the word of God. Yes, I was there at the beginning of time. But John doesn't just describe the eternal word. He paints, he had some new colors in too, he had some depth. And he says that Jesus isn't just the eternal word. He's the life-giving word. John would argue that without Jesus, nothing was made. The life of creation, our own lives here today. Without Jesus, we wouldn't be here. But more than that, without Jesus... Actually, nothing makes sense. Nothing makes sense without Jesus. All things were made through him. 
and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Has, has not overcome it. Yes, Jesus, he's the eternal word, and he's the life-giving word. John here tells us that Jesus is the meaning of life. He should be everything to us. It makes no sense, does it? When we think of a child there in the womb, dying before it even gets to experience life. Life doesn't seem... It just seems meaningless to think of a young lady getting knocked down by a drunk driver. It just makes no sense just living a short life and then just dying and that's it, that's the end. That's what we're told. Oh, you just go to the grave and that's life. Life has no meaning. Life has no purpose without Christ. He is the life-giving word. When we receive Christ, when we know him, life is filled with meaning. It's filled with purpose. We can live each day knowing that it's one day at a time, sweet Jesus. One day at a time. Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Look at the lilies of the field, how they're clothed. Look at them. Will not the Lord clothe you? Will he not look after you? Will he not care for you? Even the bird that will fall and die, does the Lord not know about it? He knows you. He cares for you. He is the life-giving word. He's the one that gives purpose and meaning to everything. Knowing that, yes, if we lose our loved one, Think of those who once worshipped in this church. Think of your family, those who taught you the Gospels, who taught you the Bible, who encouraged you to believe or to put your trust in the Lord. Do you remember your grandparents as they would pray when they were visiting? I lay my, you know that prayer? Lord, I lay my head. I can't even remember it now. But it was one that you had to memorise. You're all, you can all repeat it to me now. You'll catch me over lunch, Scott. This is how it goes. You should know it. And it's true. You know, we had loved family members who would remind us of the Gospels and the Scriptures and they would pray with us. And when we lose our loved ones, especially, isn't it lovely to know that as they taught us the Scriptures, as they prayed with us, as they cared for us, one day we're going to meet again. We're going to meet again. And on that day when we see them again, there'll be no tears. There'll be no sadness. There'll be no, see what you said to me before you died, I'm going to sort you out now. There'll be none of that. There is going to be no remembrance of sin. There's no remembrance of sin. In that place is perfect joy and peace we're going to be reunited with loved ones. We're going to see the angels that once worshipped with us here in this church. And we're going to see Jesus face to face. We're going to see him. What a day that's going to be. And we're told that every tear will be wiped away. Every tear, every single tear that you weep right now in this world. They're going to be wiped. The Lord's going to say to you on that day, they're there. It's all over. There's going to be no more death. There's going to be no more cancer. There's going to be no more sickness. There's going to be no more heartaches in this place. The young will not die in their, in their young. And the elder people will not die in their old age. That was Isaiah. Oh, we're going to know such a kingdom of joy and of peace. Oh, life has meaning with Christ. We can cope with the storms and trials when we have Christ in our life. You can go through the storms of life when Jesus is in the boat. Like the disciples, as the disciples knew they were skilled fishermen, they, they said, we should have died. And 
But here Jesus was in the boat, asleep. But even with Jesus asleep in the boat, they were safe. They were safe. Have you ever had experiences like that where you feel, is the Lord asleep? Does he not know that I'm going through this? Does he not know that I'm feeling like this? Does he not know that I'm, I'm going through this real horrible storm? I might die in this. I might not cope with this. And you know, the Lord just, he knows. He knows. And then he comes to our hearts and he says one day, Oh, peace, be still, be still. He is the life-giving word. Peter himself said, where else can we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Yes, we're to believe in him. We're to receive him into our hearts, our lives. We're to experience today Christ, the eternal word. We're to experience today the life-giving word himself, Christ. And that's why we meet at the Lord's table. To know life. We don't come because we feel that we're good enough. We don't come to the Lord's table because, oh Lord, I'm perfect today. I feel more holy. I feel I'm a better person. No, we come to the Lord's table because we know that we're not. And we need him. We need Christ. We need Jesus, who is our goodness. He's everything to us. He's our loveliness. He's our righteousness. We're not righteous in ourselves. We're not holy in ourselves. It's Jesus we look to. And we say, Jesus, you're my holiness. You're my goodness. When you take of the Lord's Supper, when you take the bread and the cup, you're remembering Jesus. You're remembering Jesus, your eternal word, the life-giving word, the incarnate word. Jesus you're remembering him as your goodness. You're remembering him as your righteousness. You're remembering Jesus as everything to you. Yes, John declares, he's the eternal word. He's the life-giving word. And in closing, he's the incarnate word. Jesus, he reveals himself this is God in human flesh. The invisible God who no one has ever seen wants to reveal himself to us. In the Old Testament, God was revealed through the law and the prophets. When you went to the tabernacle, you got glimpses of what God looked like. You saw portraits there in the temple. You saw the light, the candelabra there, the menorah. You would see the table of bread and there you could see pictures of, of who God is in Christ. You could see Jesus in the tabernacle. You could see Jesus everywhere as he walked into the temple. But now John tells us, but these were just shadows. A shadow is very real, but it's not the real thing. When you see a shadow, you know the real things nearby. Because the real thing is casting that shadow. And so when you see Jesus in the Old Testament, it's like the shadow of Christ himself who's to come. And John now tells us, he's here now. It's not the shadow anymore. It's not a shadow. God has shown up. He now tabernacles. He, he pitches his tent with us. He sets up his home with us. He's here and John declares he's the incarnate word. He's the word become flesh. We can now see him. We can see what God, who God is. We can walk with God. We can talk with God. John tells us in verse 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So what's he like? Well, John tells us he's full of truth. He's very real. Oh, he's real. You can't argue with him. And he's full of grace. He's full of grace. And he's overflowing and overwhelming in his love and in his mercy and in his forgiveness.
and in his care. And from his fullness have we all received grace upon grace. Can I ask a question? Have you received of the fullness of his grace? Have you tasted and seen that God is good? Have you come to experience for yourself the eternal word, the life-giving word, the incarnate word, Christ himself? I'm not asking, do you believe in him? But have you received him? Have you received him into your heart, your life, your home? Well, can I invite you this morning? We now come to the Lord's table and we're asked, receive him. Take the bread, take the cup. And yes, spend time as you, before you take the bread and before you take of the cup. Yes, tell the Lord, repent of your sins. Tell him, yes, of all your failures. Tell him how you're feeling. But as you turn then away from yourself and your sins and the mess that you feel maybe you're in, we're told, oh, turn to him and receive him. And can we do that this morning? Well, let's pray together. Lord, as we now come to your table, we come at your invitation. Lord, you invite us, oh come, taste and see that God is good. Lord, we come today to remember you. Lord Jesus, we remember your birth, especially at this Advent time. But Lord, also at this Advent time, this Advent season, we are reminded that you're coming again. And so, Lord, we remember you, yes, in your birth. We remember you in life. Lord, how you cared, how you showed such compassion. Oh, how you loved us. How you healed lives. You brought peace. Lord, you brought mercy, forgiveness, and grace. And so, Lord, we remember you. And Lord, we remember you in your suffering. Oh, how you suffered for us. Lord, there on the cross of Calvary, you took our sins. You took the blame. Lord, you declared yourself guilty of our sins so that we could be forgiven, that we could be set free, that we could have a relationship with God. And that one day we would be with you all because of what Jesus suffered for us. And so, Jesus, we remember you today in your suffering. And we remember you in your burial, your death, your resurrection, how you brought to us new life and in your ascension. And Lord, today you pray for us. Oh, how we remember you. And so, Lord, as we remember you, we ask that we would also receive you. Lord, oh, fill our hearts. Fill this sanctuary and bless us as we seek to bless you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we come to the Lord's table, let us attend to the words of the institution of this sacrament as spoken by our Lord and given to the Apostle Paul. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me in the same way he also took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. 
that a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Well, we read in this scripture the gracious invitation of our Lord for us to come to his table and to remember him. The Son of Man who came to seek and to save the lost. The Son of God who gave his life a ransom for us. In this same scripture, the Apostle Paul warns us to examine ourselves before partaking of the Lord's Supper. The blessings from the Lord's table are only beneficial to those of a sincere and a repentant heart and a living faith in Christ as Lord and Saviour. And so let's unite our hearts once again as we pray. <coughs> as the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. Lord, we now take these elements of bread and of the cup to be set apart from all common uses to this holy use and mystery. And as Jesus gave thanks and blessed, Lord, we now turn in prayer as we desire to draw near to you. O eternal God, the whole earth is full of your glory and we therefore come to praise and bless and adore you. We give thanks for Jesus who came to raise us up and to restore your image upon us where we may reflect the glory of the eternal and unchangeable God. And so we thank you for the life of Jesus as recorded in the scriptures, for the prophecies that foretold his life of hardship, for his perfect example, for his death upon the cross, for his resurrection from the grave, for his ascension to the right hand, and for his sending of the Holy Spirit who comes to deepen us in the love of Christ and to lead us into all truth. And so as we gather together at his, his table, we thank you especially for Jesus' death on the cross, for taking upon himself the punishment which was due to us for all our sins. Truly, he is the perfect Lamb of God, the Lamb without spot or blemish, the Lamb slain for us, the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. And Lord, at your invitation and command, we now present ourselves at his table to remember him and to witness before the world that we have been justified, forgiven, redeemed, and have received eternal life through Christ alone. And this, Lord, we pray in Jesus' sweet name. Amen. Well, according to the institution, command, and example of our blessed Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, I now take this bread, and having given thanks, break it and give it to you. Jesus said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And in the same manner, Jesus took the cup. Therefore I take this cup and give it to you. This cup is the new covenant in the blood of Christ, which is shed for the remission of the sins of many. Drink ye all of it. Jesus said, This cup is a new testament in my blood. This do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, ruler of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good.
now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, let's worship together in our closing carol. O come, all ye faithful. So may, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the fellowship, comfort and the power of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. <laughs>